0: Welcome to the Southcrest live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with another installment of Tough Truths. This week's Tough Truth involves the difficult subject of adultery. What is it really? Where does it begin? And what links should a believer go to in order to avoid sexual sin? For the answers, turn to Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30, as we hear immorality is and the heart from Pastor David Wilson.
1: First John says, in the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. If you ever had the idea that Jesus was not a man's man, you need to change your ideas. First of all, fishermen would not have followed him. And I get kind of aggravated at some of these pictures. Or they're not pictures, obviously. They're paintings of Jesus that make him look feminized or a sissy. He was anything but that. And he turned the religious community on their ear. Uh, you may think, well, this is just a, a soft little spoken sermon by Jesus on the Mount, what we call the Mount of Beatitudes. But, but I want to tell you, Jesus gets in their face. And he takes off the mask of religiousness. People can hide behind that. A lot of people today will go to church. They will do all kinds of good deeds thinking, I'm a religious person. God's going to think I'm religious. But the problem is God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And that's what the sermon began with, the Beatitudes, how to come to God. You come in bankruptcy of spirit. You have nothing to offer God and everything to get from him. And then once you receive him, it changes your life and you're the salt and the light. And then Jesus begins to rip the mask off all of these religious people who are hiding behind all their rules. Last week, we looked at anger and murder. He used the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Or kill. Actually, it actually means to murder, to take another innocent life. Today, he looks at the second strongest, well, another strong emotion. You know, two emotions that are really strong in us. We have anger is one of them, but also sexual desire and lust is another one. Very strong desire. And so, look what he has to say in verse twenty-seven. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. I think we need to pray. Heavenly Father, such strong truth. We ask that you open our ears and our hearts to receive it Lord we know there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus we've been forgiven but I pray for those today who may be struggling in the area of adultery and fornication and immorality and I pray for those who've never received Jesus as their Savior that you might open their eyes to the need of salvation in their life and forgiveness So, Lord, today we come asking for your help to receive the truth, to teach the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A fourth-grade Sunday school class had been studying the Ten Commandments. Fourth-graders. At the end of that, the teacher asked this simple question which is the most difficult commandment or the hardest commandment for you to keep? They said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, the teacher was asking the Sunday school director, I don't know where this is coming from, and until one of the moms asked her son, who was a fourth grader, said, son, what do you think it means to not commit adultery she said he said that's easy mom committing adultery means thou shalt not sass back to adults (laughs) that's why they were all having a hard time with it Uh, another little boy coming from sunday school one day where the ten commandments had been the topic didn't quite get them all right but he asked his dad he said dad what does it mean when it says thou shalt not commit agriculture And without a beat, his dad said, son, that means you're not supposed to plow another man's field. (laughs) That's a great answer, actually. (laughs) Last week, we looked at the anger and murder, and Jesus was trying to tell the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious legalists who had limited God's law... He was trying to say, you're keeping it by your own standards. You have watered it down. You're keeping it by your own law, and you may look good on the outward appearance, but your heart is far from me. And now he uses a second illustration of adultery and sexual sin in general. In our culture today, our culture has rejected God's will for sexuality Now, I'm speaking in generality, but for the most part, our society has rejected God's will for human sexuality. It's mostly been removed from the realm of morality and spirituality, and we just simply have in place what we call sexual preference. Sexual preference can be with the same sex. It can be with multiple partners. It can be before marriage It can be within marriage. It's virtually become an amoral category and our culture affirms the sexual preference but does not want to grasp What's going to happen because of it It's inevitable. It's already happening in fact Our culture affirms it as an inalienable right, but then we gasp in horror when we see the rise and increase of child sexual abuse, one-parent homes. We're witnessing a, a lot of crime and drugs and poverty and illiteracy and marital failure and STDs, and the reason is it's the breakdown of God's intention for the family. And folks, whether you like it or not, the foundational structure in society is the family and sexual morality is the structure which safeguards the family. When you break that down, you break everything else down with it as far as family goes. Only if we have a moral reformation are we going to change that trend in this country. And the only way that's going to happen is if we have a heart change. And the only way you can change the heart is through Jesus Christ and his holiness and God giving his righteousness to you and me. There's a story told many years ago about a wealthy Chinese businessman who had traveled to England. And while he was there, he noticed a a very powerful microscope. He'd never seen one, and he looked in it, and they looked at flower petals and looked at other items under the microscope, and he was amazed at the detail that you could see. So he purchased one to take back to China, and he enjoyed using it. He, He thoroughly enjoyed it until one day he decided to look at the rice that he's eating and he puts it under the microscope, and all of a sudden, he sees all kinds of little organisms on that rice, living things on that rice. And much to his dismay, he, he really was fond of that daily, that daily staple, and he wondered what to do, so he concluded there was only one thing to do, and that was to destroy the microscope. Now, a lot of people have taken that same premise today and looked at God's Word that way. God's Word shows us things that we don't want to see, and today's one of them. And it shows us things that we don't want to see, and we have a tendency to say, you know what? Let's just discredit the Bible. Let's get rid of the Bible. Let's don't talk about the Bible. It's amazing how many people will go to church today in places they won't even open a Bible But Jesus continues to unmask the self-righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes who were so proud that they had not done certain things in their mind, and yet he begins to show on the inside you're still corrupt. See, God's evaluation of you and me is not based on what we do on the outside. It's on the inside. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Proverbs says, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. He told Samuel, God judges the heart. The scriptures tell us all kinds of things. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, he said, our body is for the Lord. And then in that same verse, it says the body is not for immorality. And yet, we live in a culture where this seems to have been thrown out. Now, he begins by, like he did when he was talking about murder, by quoting one of the Ten Commandments. I call it, the external act is reiterated. The Sixth Commandment. Thou shalt not murder protects the sanctity of life. The seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery protects the sanctity of marriage. Even though this is mentioned in the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet another man's wife, they sort of skip that part. And they, they narrowed it down to a very, very small definition when it came to thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, when the law was given to Moses, adultery was portrayed as one of the most despicable and heinous sins. In fact, in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22, it's punishable by death. And in John 8, when they brought the woman who had been caught in adultery, I don't know why they didn't bring the man. If they caught him, they had two of them. But they brought the woman. They were about to stone her because that's what the law said to do. And had Jesus not forgiven her, they probably would have stoned her. Now, in its most technical sense, when I use the word adultery, and I'm going to try to keep this G-rated so that it won't be too many questions. For those of you who have small children, I'm, try- I'm not trying to stir up a, a whole interesting conversation at lunch today. So I'm going to be very careful. But I'm also going to be as as clear as I can without, being, without making you nervous. So I understand. But adultery means having sexual relations with a married person who's not your spouse outside the bonds of marriage. Now, that's the technical, but in, in reality, that word also means all kinds of sexual sin, not just between married people. Now, we use the word adultery, and sometimes we use the fornication for, for that outside the marriage bond, but he's, he's stressing the purity of heart. And the religious leaders and a lot of people today think, as long as I stay within the parameters on the outside, I'm okay. And that's what they did. They took, the, they took thou shalt not commit adultery. And here's what they made it mean. Very narrow. A man cannot seduce another man's wife. That's it. Didn't say anything about a woman seducing a man. Didn't say anything about homosexuality. It didn't say anything about any other sexual sin. Can I pause right here and tell you that I don't stand condemning anybody today? I also know that Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if, if this sin has been in your life, you've been forgiven. It's no condemnation on my part. I don't stand here declaring to you that I'm innocent of heart. But I also am committed to telling you the truth to try to prevent other people from making the same mistakes that other people have made. And God has put parameters here. They had narrowed it down to such a point that the scribes could say, well, you know what? I've never seduced another man's wife. Well, the word adultery technically refers to having sexual relations with a person who is not your spouse, whether they're married or not, or you're married or not. But in actuality, it's a word that forbids all kinds of sexual relations outside of marriage between a man and a woman. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul lists practically every type of sexual sin when he says, neither fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites will inherit the kingdom of God. It's clear, any sex outside of marriage for Whatever reason is sin, and it's wrong. No exceptions. Now, there's a problem that's become greater than adultery. It's a form of adultery. And we're living in a day and age where cohabitation is on the rise. Living together outside of marriage, if you don't know what I'm talking about. One grandmother put it this way to her granddaughter. She said, remember, he's never going to buy the cow if he can get the milk for free. In 1960, a half million couples were living together outside of marriage. In 2000, there was an 11-fold increase to 5.5 million couples. And in 2016, 18 million couples. One website stated today that 65% of marriages start out with cohabitation. Now, I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about this, but I'm not going to let it pass either. I'm going to read to you some facts from a website that is not a Christian website. Secular, okay? You'd expect a Christian website to say this. This isn't a Christian website. I got this off this morning before you were up. Fact, living together is considered to be more stressful than being married. Fact, just over 50% of first cohabitating couples never get married. Fact, in the United States and in the UK, couples who live together are at a greater risk for divorce than non-cohabitating couples. Fact, when evaluating relationships, couples who lived together before marriage tended to divorce early in their marriage. Fact, cohabitating couples had a separation rate five times that of married couples and a reconciliation rate that was one third that of married couples. Fact, cohabitating couples are more likely to experience infidelity. Fact, compared to those planning to marry, those cohabitating have an overall poorer relationship quality. They tend to have more fighting and violence and less reported happiness. Fact, cohabitating couples earn less money and are less wealthy than their married peers later in life. And last one, compared to married individuals, those cohabitating have higher levels of depression and substance abuse. So what does this mean? It means that God simply knew what he was doing when he said, keep sex within marriage. He knows what he's talking about. The National Survey of Family Growth found that women who were not virgins when they got married have a 71% higher divorce rate. Saying no to premarital sex and adultery means saying yes to a stronger marriage. It's also interesting that the grass that seems to be greener on the other side of the fence always ends up brown. 80% of men who have had an affair end up staying with or returning to their wives. And those who do divorce their wives, only 10% marry the woman with whom they've had the affair. Keep one other thing in mind. Of the 10% of men who actually do marry the person with whom they've had an affair, 70% of them get another divorce. So if you do the simple math, the chances of staying married to the person with whom you leave your spouse for are three in a hundred. No wonder God said, don't commit adultery. You ever seen any bull riding competitions? I I can't believe people try that. They had a mechanical bull at the Beast Feast. I wasn't about to get on it, especially with some of my guys at the control of it. But, a, but riding a bull, I mean, you got this huge animal, 2,000-pound bull, and he's got tremendous neck muscles, and he's got a big head, and he can swing that thing. And those guys who ride those bulls, you see in those professional bull riders, when they get thrown off that bull, their instincts kick in, and they do one thing, <laughs> run. <laughs> and they are running for the fence, the wall. If I can run to the fence and get over it, and, you know, when they get to that wall, they don't resent that wall. In fact, they're glad that strong thing is there. They're glad that it's keeping that raging bull off of them. They, are not, they don't feel like they're being limited. It's not, it's not preventing them from having fun. It's saving their life. Well, God said in his word, it's not to restrict you from fun. It's not to restrict you from... Your desires is to keep you from harm. God puts barriers between the stuff that would harm us and destroy us. Jesus takes it a step further. He said, well, see, they, see the scribes, when they had that little narrow definition, a man seduces another man's wife. That's all. What well, then... You know they were off the hook because they had never done that. So Jesus reiterates the seventh commandment, but then he'll—you'll notice—he reveals some things. The internal attitude is revealed. In verse twenty-eight: "I," which is emphatic, in indicating that Jesus puts his own words above. The revered traditions that have been handed down Not the commandments of God, but the traditions that have been limited. And then notice as he put, puts whoever. Whoever means male and female. Whoever. Intentionally. No gender is immune from this command. Whoever looks. The word is blepo. It's a present participle and refers to the continuous process of Looking. Now, the idea is not that of an incidental or involuntary glance, but intentional and repeated gazing. To lust for indicates a goal or an action that follows the looking. In other words, men and women, you see something that is tempting and you you can't help but see it today. You don't look. I mean, you turn your head and you keep going. Just because there was a glimpse or something like that that was put in front of you, that's not the sin. But the sin is when you start looking for that. Now, he uses the word lust to refer to all forms of sexual immorality. Jesus is talking about an intentional look. He's speaking of the man and woman who looks so they may satisfy their evil desire. The word lust refers to all kinds of sexual sin. And so basically Jesus is, he's taking the cover off of all of the loopholes that the religious people had. There's surely some of those that we look good in, but he takes it off and he goes to the heart. Anger, the sixth commandment, and lust are two of the most powerful influences on us. They're hard. Any of you get angry this week? If not, you will be at the end of this message, so just get ready. (laughs) Anger, It's, it's real. Yesterday's paper, front page, 19-year-old girl killed by a 17-year-old boy. Dating, probably over anger would be my guess. A man wrote to Dear Abby. Dear Abby, I am in love and I'm having an affair with two different women. I can't marry them both. Please tell me what to do, but don't give me any of that morality stuff. Her answer is classic. Dear sir, the only difference between humans and animals is morality. Please write to a veterinarian. (laughs) I think that's awesome. And it didn't matter how long you've been saved, you're still going to have evil desires from time to time. Bruce Larson tells of an old priest who was asked by a young man, Father, when will I cease to be bothered by the sins of the flesh? And the priest replied, Son, I wouldn't trust myself until I'd been dead for three or four days. (laughs) In so many ways, all of us are like Esau. We'd sell our birthright for a bowl of soup just to be gratified for the moment. Let me tell you, the sins of the flesh, they don't think of the future. We walk around every day without thinking about the future. We don't think about what's going to happen. The sins of the flesh care nothing about the well-being of the people we love. All they care about, all it cares about is charging ahead to find gratification now. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 28... Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, listen, it's not the lustful looking that causes the sin in the heart, it's the sin in the heart that causes the lustful looking. You see, we think, well, if I, don't, if, if I look and then I have, have, have any thoughts, well, that's not how it happens. Somebody's already got lustful thoughts in their heart, is looking for a place to look, to gaze. He's not speaking of the unexpected, unexpected, unavoidable exposure. And could I pause? I've already stepped on enough, but let me just ladies, although Jesus uses a man as an example, the lustful thoughts are equally applicable to you. Women are equally susceptible to lustful looking sometimes even inciting men to lust i'm not blaming all the women i like what arthur pink said arthur pink is a comment a commentator who died many years ago he said if lustful looking is so grievous a sin then those who dress and expose themselves with the desire to be looked at and lusted after are not less but perhaps more guilty In this matter, it's not only too often the case that men sin, but women tempt them to do so. How great then must be the guilt of the great majority of modern misses who deliberately seek to arouse the sexual passions of young men? And how much greater still is the guilt of most of their mothers for allowing them to become lascivious temptresses? Now, listen to me, ladies. I do not blame women for the lust that men have but you at least ought to help. Stop it. Christian ladies, dress modestly. It may You may think it's cute, and some other girl may tell you think it's cute. But I wish you could have the mind of a man for 30 minutes. You'd wear a choir robe. <laughs> no, you really wouldn't, but... But but you just don't know. You just don't get it. You ladies are not visually excitable. But men are. Men are, so be careful. See, the culture we live in is in direct odds with what Jesus teaches on sexuality. Think about the movies, our advertisements, the commercials, the contemporary music, the TV and the literature, the magazine racks, all the current thoughts on divorce. All of these have a unified message and appeal. And now you have the Internet. One website, not a Christian website, indicated that 60% of the websites on the Internet are pornographic. Now, before you give that child one of those phones that gives them the gate to the Internet, you better have some kind of restriction on that. You better find out where they're looking. And men, used to be you had to go to a store to buy one of those books, and you wouldn't do it because you didn't want anybody to see you. but now it's just piped into your home. And there are a lot of men. A lot of men who are addicted to that stuff. I got some good news for you. You're not a lost cause. God knows. God can forgive. God can deliver. But Jesus, he reveals the internal problem. So what do you do? Well, it's easy. We're going to pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. (laughs) That's what he said. And we're people of the book. So right after church, deacons will be out there with knives. (laughs) What are we going to do? Listen to what he says. I call it the radical action and avoidance that's required. Now, a person with an adulterous heart or a lustful spirit in them is going to look for ways to be exposed. They're going to go to certain movies. They're going to go to certain bookstores. They're going to go to certain websites. They're looking. But a godly person is looking for ways to avoid it. We already know it's real. We already know it's strong. And we need to pray like the psalmist in Psalm 119.37 that said, Turn my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Now, obviously, Jesus did not mean to pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. He's using extreme hyperbole here. But what he is saying, you need to take a serious, serious look at this. Because he said, in your religiousness, you may not have committed adultery, but your heart is far from God and you're bound to an eternity without God in hell until you come to Jesus Christ. And he said, you need, and see, in, the, in those days, the, in the Jewish culture, the right eye was your strongest eye. That's what they said. That's, that was just their thought. But it, it represented a person's best eye, and the right hand represented the person's strongest hand. And Jesus was saying, you need to make some radical changes. Some of you will hear this message. Some of you will be mad. Some of you will be under conviction, but when you leave under conviction and you don't make any changes, then nothing will happen. You'll get over it. A lot of people leave church and get over it. The Holy Spirit is trying to say, here's some things you need to do. Well, Jesus is basically saying, first of all, you need to resist the opportunity. You better give up anything you have to protect your heart, your body, your soul, your purity, and if married, your marriage. Anything you have to give up, give it up. He said, if your right eye causes you to scandalizo, to stumble, we get our word scandal from that, to sin. In his substance's form, it was used to, it was the little bait stick that springs the trap when an animal touches it. He said, if your eye is causing you, where you're looking, is causing you to stumble. Anything that morally or spiritually traps us needs to be avoided. You know, that can be different for everyone. Sin's got to be dealt with radically. If we do not consciously and purposely control what is around us, where we go, what we do, what we watch and read, and the company we keep, and the conversations we have, then those things will control us. And the Lord is not telling us to cripple ourselves. He's telling us to control ourselves. You ask an alcoholic who's been sober for a long time. Many of them will tell you, Jesus changed my life. Some of them went to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and they believe in God helping. But you, you ask them, how are you staying sober? Well, I can promise you one thing they don't do is go in the liquor store. And they probably try to avoid the aisles in the grocery store now that are filled with liquor. There's almost more of that than there's food. If you're having trouble with your sexual thoughts, then you've got to radically change your routine. You've got to quit going places. You've got to have people hold you accountable. You've got to do something different. Jesus, that's what he's saying. This is such a strong desire. Do something radical. That would be radical to you if you're going to be delivered. You can't avoid all temptation. You can't go hide. Martin Luther said, you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> so Paul said in much plainer language, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill his lusts. Spend some time with the Lord. Have some accountability friends. The second thing is to remove the obstacle. It goes a lot with what I just said. Give up whatever's necessary. Some of you are old enough to remember that comedy show, Hee Haw. I remember an old episode of Hee Haw where Gaylord Sartain comes into Doc Campbell's office. He said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And Doc said, well, then stay out of those places. (laughs) He said, but Doc, it hurts when I do this. And Doc says, well, don't do that. You got to stop now listen carefully young people some of you are already in the wrong kind of relationship by the way the website that said that there's 18 million cohabitating couples is you know one of the, not the largest group the largest groups the millennials but one of the largest groups is people over 50 so it's not just young people If you're in a relationship that's wrong and you want God to honor it, you need to back up, start over. Separate. I'm talking about people who are living together. You need to separate. Ask God to forgive you. Make a commitment to Jesus. And start this relationship off with a pure heart and a pure body. You know, that's the, good, that's the good thing about God is he is in the salvage business. Now, I'll just tell you, this is a big salvage yard right here. Everybody in here has been rescued that knows Jesus. But if you want to honor the Lord, say, Lord, I really oh, I want, this, I want this relationship to work then follow God's pattern for it. You will not regret the fence. Some of you are dating people that aren't believers. Where in the world are you going with that but opposite directions? You wonder why you can't get close to one another because you're not following Jesus. That's why one of you is not and one of you is. Some of you need to to put your computer out there where everybody can see it. Keep the door open. After after your spouse gone to bed, get off of it. What are you going to do? You got to remove the obstacle. Some of you need to stop going to certain kinds of movies. Some of you need to stop... Reading certain periodicals. Some of you need to cancel a magazine and subscribe. I don't know. I'm not looking in your rooms. I'm just telling you that if you're going to change the heart, it takes radical surgery. And that's what God's saying. Jesus saying, look, you can, hide. you can hide it from everybody else, but I live at your house with you. Now, just getting rid of something will not change a corrupt heart. Here's the good news. Jesus can change anyone for the good, for the good. God doesn't look at anyone and say, you've been so pitifully sinful, you're beyond reach, sorry. No. God said, you bring me what you have in repentance Not just feeling sorry for it, but sorry enough to make a change, to change your mind about it. God, I am so sick of this in my life. I'm giving it to you now. I repent of that. And Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross, and I commit my life to you. And Lord, I want you to come in and fill the void in my life that I've been stuffing all this other stuff in there with. Because I want to tell you, when you fill your life with Christ and the Holy Spirit... You're not going to have as much room in there as you've had. And with it, with him in there, he's going to say, nope, sorry, this doesn't belong in here. Nope, sorry, this doesn't belong in here. He'll start giving you the strength and the power. You need to hold yourself accountable to someone else. For those of you who are Christians and you're in sin, good news is today you can leave it right here in this building. You can leave it in the venue. You can leave it at home. Wherever you are watching this, drive a stake down and say, you know what, Lord, right now, I've I've really messed up, but from right now, Lord, right now, I want to start. I want to be a man or a woman of God. I want to honor you because, see, this is the righteousness that God's talking about. You can fool everyone else, but God, God sees the heart. And the good news is, God's already seen it. He's already said, I'll forgive you. Is that not amazing? I'll forgive you. All people are murderers. All people are adulterers. And yet
0: God still saves us. Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. We discovered today in Matthew 5 the true origins of the sin of adultery. In this passage, Jesus begins by reiterating the command against adultery, originally found in Exodus twenty fourteen. But breaking with rabbinic tradition, Jesus, teaching on His own authority, offers one of His, but I say unto you, statements, this time regarding adultery and how it... And other sexual sins are not simply sins of the flesh, but sins of the heart. Then he turns to the radical actions needed to fight sexual sin using hyperbole to illustrate the urgent need to resist opportunities to sin and to remove obstacles that might cause us to stumble and fall. We would all do well to heed Jesus' instruction. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.